The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Hello and welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today we are joined by Allison McLean. Allison moved to Toronto from Thunder Bay in early 2013 to join Porter Airlines. Prior to her promotion to Director System Operations Control, Allison also held the positions of Duty Officer and Manager, System Operation Control Center. While paying her way through university, Allison did some part-time work in the wee hours of the morning as a ramp attendant, loading Dash 7s destined for northern mines and fishing launches. From there, she was offered a job to help an airline with logistics at remote bases. The job became a passion, and the rest is history. Allison spent the next decade and gained most of her operational experience in northern Manitoba and Ontario as a dispatcher and operations manager. Allison's interests include listening to her extensive vinyl collection, water sports, the outdoors, and of course, traveling. I am truly so excited to have her joining me today. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. All that to say, how did you get your start in aviation? Well, the, the simple answer uh, is that I've always loved traveling, like, like most people in this industry. So I started when I was young and quickly became habit. So the travel industry was always an interest uh, to me. Uh, while I was in university, a friend asked if I wanted to uh, sling bags in the back of aircraft on a part-time basis, uh, kind of in the wee hours of the morning to make some extra cash. So I accepted and you know, I needed to pay for that traveling habit and well, I needed to pay for rent, of course, too. So I didn't get into aviation with the expectation that it would be a career, but it sucked me in and it's hard to lose interest when you're continually learning and moving along. And uh, I would also say that working on the ramp was a great way to start. Uh, I was eventually exposed to all kinds of different positions, departments, companies, and, and even different aviation businesses. So um, the industry's big. And there was a real variety of opportunities. Uh, and for me, it was a lesson to not hesitate to try something new. What is the System Operations Control Center and what sort of operations fall under this department? I'm so glad you asked me this because, you know, most people know aviation has one or two acronyms, uh, but so many people don't actually know what SOC stands for or what it is that we do. Um, so uh, SOCC is the System Operations Control Center, like you mentioned, and it's, it's really the heart of, of an airline or the epicenter uh, where those day-to-day decision-making, problem-solving, communication, collaboration, all, all those fun things happen. So I'm going to just kind of walk you around the department because it really makes, it's made up of so many different roles, but also um, different departments. So, uh, and, and each kind of role supports a different operating group. Um, so to start off, the focus of this group is really that operating day and maybe up to 48 or 72 hours in the future. So it's a very narrow focus. And again, to, to, to keep it simple, their job is basically to execute the commercial flight schedule. So the team members include people like licensed flight dispatchers who, for example, support the flight crew provide flight plans, monitor weather conditions, ensure that they communicate any kind of changes um, to the flight if anything happens en route. 
We also have a team of airport operations who support the stations and ultimately the passengers. So whether it's, you know, verification of transporter documents, load planning, um, or even just assisting specific situations. So if a passenger's travel was disrupted, like a misconnection or a cancellation, they would support those customer service representatives. Um, there's also crew schedulers, you know, who ensure that every flight has a full complement of crew. Um, this team also does a lot of puzzles and problem solving when there are any type of disruptions. So uh, I'm sure you can imagine if there's a disruption to a passenger um, on a flight, then there's likely a flight disruption for the flight crew as well. So uh, lots of problem solving there. And then we also have a maintenance controller in from the tech ops department that sits within the SOC. So that really facilitates the communication with aircraft performance. Um, it also gives the pilots easy access to you know, speak to, to an engineer um, and dispatch so that they can collaborate together. And then kind of like to pull the room together, the duty officer, they're like the quarterback um, of the operation center. So they're responsible for not only the supervision of the room, uh, and, and the members within it, but ultimately they're the decision maker when Porter might face some challenges um, operating that flight schedule that's been given to us. So uh, yes, the duty officer is that guy that cancels or delays your flight. Um, so yeah, at a high level, uh, those are kind of the people that make up the operation center, uh, but there are more specific positions kind of amongst those groups. I've been very fortunate to have had a few different tours of SOC over the last few years. And I always feel when I walk into that department that I'm watching the equivalent of a person being put on the moon. It's just, there's so many screens. There are so many people working towards a common goal of a successful safe flight. Uh, I'm always so impressed whenever I go inside SOC just to see how specialized the roles are amongst the entire team. It's really neat how every group kind of has their own their own specialty too, and and like I said, how they support um, the different operating groups. Um, so you know, pilots have their own kind of support system. You know, in flight has their own kind of support. CSRs, ramp, whoever you may be. Um, yeah, you you have a connection and, and a communication point in in the operation center. Now we've mentioned just sort of how varied the operations are and the different positions that fall under each category. What training does someone need to work in SOC? So because there are so many positions, I'm going to try and keep this a little bit broad. Um, but something that we've really seen um, in the last few years is a sharp increase in, in college programs available uh, for students. Um, and, and that has really helped individuals gain a, a strong foundation before they actually necessarily get their foot in the door. Um, but what, what's really most important in, in SOC anyways is initially we're, we're looking for team members that have some sort of basic aviation knowledge. Uh, the learning curve can be really, really sharp. So, um, you know, we, we need there to be that basic understanding, you know, runways, um, you know, the, the technical side, maybe a little bit of meteorology or, or understanding um, technology. So, um, beyond a, a person's school credentials, I, I would say we're looking for someone with a, a strong technology comprehension. So um, I, I make this joke all the time, but we push a lot of buttons in SOC and that pun is intended. But, you know, you have, just like you mentioned, we have uh, stations of four monitors or more. Um, so you are constantly um, using multiple applications at the same time to, to do what you need to do. Um, 
we're also looking for individuals that can multitask, make decisions, work through problems themselves. It can be really fast paced and things are always changing. So it also helps to have a little patience. Um, we're also looking for team members that have a high self standard and, and pride in the work that they deliver. Um, we're not frontline or passenger facing team members, but our, but our customers are our, our in-house team members, right? The pilots, the customer service representatives or, or any other team member that needs our assistance or guidance. So um, I'm looking for a well-rounded individual who, who has a willingness to learn, I'd say. So that's high level what we're looking for. How did you move towards your role as director of Porter System Operations Control? So prior to Porter, I worked in Manitoba and Northern Ontario. Um, I've done everything from ramp agent, loadmaster, CSR. I was a station manager. And then eventually I moved into operations as a flight follower, dispatcher, and, uh, and then eventually into operations management. Um, I, I first came to Porter Airlines as a duty officer. So as, as I mentioned, that, that position is really the point person for the day-to-day um, ops. Uh, and it really gave me the chance to exercise that decision-making abilities and, and understand how Porter operates because it, it really is a, a diamond in the rough. So uh, after about three years, I was promoted to SOC, and I've been in my most recent role uh, of director for about three years uh, and you'll notice that there is only one C in my title, and that's because I'm responsible for the entire operation, not not just the activities in the actual ops center. Um, I've been fortunate to move up really quick, uh, and there's something to be said about hard work. Now, what does a typical day look like in your role? My day-to-day responsibilities uh, really depend on how the airline ops are running that day, so... If there are blue skies across our network, you know, I'm, work, I'm with my management team working on technology or process improvement, communication. But then if there's any sort of resource shortages or weather challenges, you know, it's really all hands on deck in the ops center and to make sure our passengers get where they need to go. Uh, I also work closely with other stakeholders such as NAP Canada, Transport Canada, uh, the various uh, airports that we operate in, other airlines. Uh, I'm lucky that I'm constantly exposed to other working groups and, and get the chance to collaborate with them. It's my job can be very challenging at times. And, you know, sometimes your priorities are rearranged at a moment's notice and often without your own input. So you need to adapt. Um, but it's also very exciting and no day is ever the same, which I personally love. I remember hearing you once say that you don't really have people call you to just check in and see how you're doing. And that was always something I thought of when I was working as a CSR that, oh, you know what, if I just had a quiet moment, maybe I would just call Allison and see, see how she's doing and then realize that would probably be the least helpful thing that you could have at that it's time. It's so funny. Uh, I was actually just speaking with our VP at Tech Ops last week and, and I said, I know I, I often call you and I, and I don't necessarily have good news. And he says, you know, Allison, I actually cringed when I saw your name. <laughs> so no, people don't always love a phone call from me, but uh, that's okay. I got, I got broad shoulders. As someone who has worked in multiple roles within aviation, how do you think this impacts the way you approach your role as director? Probably have some street cred. <laughs> no, really. Um, I think I can show like a, a certain amount of empathy to other operating groups. I mean, I've worked in passenger facing roles. I can understand how our decisions in SOC affect the front line. I mean, I, I loaded airplanes in Winnipeg. I was either frozen solid or a rude shade of red. So, you know, 
no one can see us right now, but I need SPF 50 on like a shady day. So I think just having had those experiences when, when things were tough, um, I'm also always inviting others into the op center for tours. I know you mentioned this too, and I always want people to come in and spend time and observe. Um, I also expect the same of my team to go out and spend time with other operating groups, you know, getting dispatchers in the flight deck or duty officers to spend time at our stations. I think that's really important to develop relationships and, and develop that empathy. Um, and I, I also think that having an eclectic background uh, gives you a broader perspective. I want everyone to go out and get as much experience as they can across the industry. And sometimes even outside of the aviation borders, um, you can apply a lot of skills to aviation or, or vice versa. What is the most rewarding aspect of your role? Uh, when I get it right. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm not actually that competitive, but I suppose, you know, when, when I make a decision and, and it works out in my favor, my success leads to a positive passenger experience and a positive team member experience. So, I mean, everyone likes to get home on time, right? Um, making decisions can be difficult and the consequences are very real and the outcomes are variable. So it's, it's almost like public speaking. Uh, for most of us, it's absolutely awful, <laughs> but then you practice and you learn for the next time and then you start to gain the confidence and experience you need and it gets easier and you get better at it. So I also need to, um, mentioned my most recent reward and, and that's really been my team. Um, they've been one of the most engaged teams I've ever led. And, and let's be honest, this has been one heck of a year. Uh, but these guys show up, they're volunteering, they're networking, they're participating in the industry. And, you know, even with Porter, while we've been hibernating, they all show up on our calls. They're an incredible group and I can't wait to, to rebuild with them in 2021. What advice would you have for someone considering a career in airline operations? I think the first thing is just to find people in the industry and talk to them to get an honest perspective. Um, there's no doubt that you're going to have to work hard if you want to come into this industry. Um, so it does help if I think if there's a little bit of passion. And I didn't even know that I had a passion for aviation until I got into it. Um, but if you think that airline ops is for you, uh, the first step is really just getting your foot in the door. Um, because once you're actually in it, the possibilities are, are really endless. Um, and you can use your skills in so many different ways. Um, being in ops is super fun and, I, and rewarding. I, I'm a little biased, but um, it's also important that you figure out that it's the right fit for you. What is something that people find maybe the biggest adjustment when they first start at SOC? Being able to change gears, um, the constant changes. Uh, plan A doesn't work, you gotta go to plan B. Plan B doesn't work, you gotta go to plan C. Um, humans, and what we've really found is, lately is, you know, they, they like a boring operation. They want everything to be on time. They want everything to, to, to work out just the way they said it was gonna work out. So, and for SOC, that, that, can, be, that can be hard because your plans don't always work out. They, fall, they can fall apart on you. And then you have to still find another solution, uh, communicate it and get everybody on board with it again. So uh, I, would, I would say that um, resilience. What role do you feel mentorship has had in your career so far? Still really working on that personally. Um, I, I finally do have um, 
a couple of people that help me through my, uh, let's call them professional challenges, but it's, it's more like peer mentorship. Uh, I'm so happy to see mentorship programs ramp up in the last few years. And since I haven't been lucky enough to have one myself, um, it's probably why I, I think it's so important to give back. Mentorship isn't something that just like falls in your lap. Um, it hasn't been for me anyway. And so, uh, I always encourage others to take that opportunity. I mean, if that resource is offered to you, grab it, hang on. Um, our jobs can be really hard. Your job, my job, all of our jobs. And uh, I hope I can support young and upcoming leaders so they don't feel isolated, but supported and help them determine the next steps in their career or, or what their next you know, step in professional development may be. Um, but I guess what I really can say around this is that your connections in aviation are important. And I'm lucky enough to have quite a few of them. Now, if you had had a very clear mentor early on in your career, how do you think that would have influenced the career path you would have taken? I don't know what I don't know. Um, I'm not disappointed in any of the choices I've made, but I, but I do think that my choices might've been easier if I could have had the opportunity to bounce them off of somebody. Um, but I also believe that, you know, sometimes our, our struggles may be a little bit harder, but maybe that makes the reward even better. Outside of Porter, what other roles do you hold in aviation? You know, Laura, it's, it's pretty simple. I, uh, I just show up <laughs> and then I talk a lot about it. Um, there are so many programs and foundations, um, just to, to name a few. Um, I'm lucky enough to participate in Elevate's cross-country tour uh, for the last few years, been to amazing places, uh, including Iqaluit. Uh, I always have a blast at the Canadian Women in Aviation Conference and, you know, rounding up a brood of Porter team members to participate. This year, Iris and Nisha, the co-chairs, are doing a fabulous job of getting us all together you know, engaged virtually. I participate in the Northern Lights Mentorship Program. I participate with Women's Support Porter. Just like right now, I talk about it a lot, <laughs> whether you want to hear it or not. But seriously, there's just so many ways to get involved and it's, and it's been really, really fun. You know, you go to an event and I, I'm sure you can really, you know, you get to meet trailblazers like Judy Cameron or Dee Brasseur. You hang out with your peers or you get to meet the next generation of aviation professionals. It's it's a really, really great industry with lots of great people. The 2019 CWIA conference was the first one I had attended. And I remember I had just started at Porter when, when I had registered. So when it came time to sort of associate uh, on your tag who you were linked with, I had put Porter. But I wasn't part of the official Porter faction that was sent. And I remember you sort of looked and was like, Porter? I, Laura, what are you doing? What are you with Porter? And then you just brought me over to all the other Porter women. And that was the most fun was just to sort of say, you're one of us now. Come over and hang out with all of us for the rest of the conference. Um, they All conferences should be like that one. I had so much fun. Uh, Iris and Nisha are doing a wonderful job. And I really have, uh, the bar was set very high. I think that's the first time I, Kendra and I reminisce on this all the time. And we, we, we talk about how that panel got very, very personal uh, for both of us. Uh, but it was also so real. Um, and it was, I think it's important to that we, even though some of the topics were really personal, they're also really important. I know we talked about, you know, motherhood, we talked about mental health, uh, 
those those topics are are so important no matter what industry you're in so i'm so happy that we we had the chance to like address them and and you know and, and it was such a safe space to do it now who is someone in aviation you admire and why there are so many amazing women in this industry but if i had to pick one it would it would be kathy fox um and she's the chair of the tsb so the transportation and safety board she's a pilot a parachutist a flight instructor an air traffic controller she's been inducted into canada's hall of fame um and she's a badass uh but seriously uh i, I really appreciate her calm and intelligent approach to everything um she brings so much wisdom and knowledge to the industry and uh she's another trailblazer and What's so amazing about her is she dedicates a lot of her time to propelling and supporting young people in aviation. I want to be just like her when I grow up. Me too. And I, I think with Kathy as well, this is a trait I've seen in a few other people that I greatly admire. But no matter where she's at in her career, Kathy has always made time for other people. And she's never been too important to speak to someone who may be at the very beginning of their career. And I think that is such a a wonderful quality to have that she's remained humble throughout um, her extraordinary career. She's absolutely lovely. Having had such a varied career, what is left on your bucket list? Uh, as I move through my roles, um, they've become uh, a lot more business centric and, and a little bit less operational. And, and that has been a really great learning experience for me. Uh, and, I, and I still have a lot to learn in that area. Uh, and to be totally honest too, I. I would have had a completely different answer a year ago. Um, but right now I'm, I'm pausing. Uh, I'm going to wait and see. Um, there are so many unanswered questions. The future of aviation is more uncertain, I think, than it ever has been. And my initial focus is, is really going to be on helping Porter rebuild. Um, what I can tell you is that I'm not done. Uh, I still have a lot to do. I have a lot to learn. Um, but I think that's the best part about this industry. You know, I'm going to learn for my entire career and it's never going to be stale. Um, sign me up. What's next? Now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your career? I get asked this question a lot. And uh, even though I, I can pull a new memory from the vault, I've, I've recently found that the stories I choose are always from my experiences uh, in the North. You know, whether it was Baker Lake or Webquay or Pravarnatuck or Callowit, the experience for me was just so formative. The Northern camaraderie, the sense of community, how to operate safely with no resources. Um, those are still honestly the recipe I think that makes me successful today. And it's also the reason that I have a passion for aviation. Believe it or not, it's not the airplanes. Um, I would recommend that if anyone has the opportunity uh, to grow their aviation careers in the North, uh, whether it's Northern Ontario or the Arctic or the territories, uh, you should take it. Uh, I met the best friends for life and it taught me so much more about being creative, compassionate, and it made me the ultimate problem solver. It, it absolutely changed my life. I think one of the turning points for me um, was kind of like early, in my early 30s. Um, I'd been laid off and I had started a new job uh, in Thunder Bay. 
and they were looking at uh, consolidating all their different operations. Uh, they had a, a base in Pickle that ran their own operation, and they had a, a base in Red Lake that ran their own, and then Thunder Bay. So for emergency response purposes and things like that, they were bringing everybody down into Thunder Bay, and I I was responsible for the uh, the op center uh, in, in Thunder Bay. So I spent like a week... Uh, flying around uh, with my good friend Austin in a caravan, uh, learning the the Wasaya network. So you know, unloading caravans and developing really really beautiful calluses on my knees uh, from offloading cargo. Um, and I would say that was like one of the most like pivotal experiences for me. Um, you know, we were flying around and we'd, we'd see a moose and fly along the rivers, and and then we land in a community and everybody's excited to get there you know, their cargo and their, their vegetables. And it was really, really, um, a, a big change for me. And I knew that this is like the industry I wanted to be in. It was so, but I have so many fun stories. Uh, I spent a few days with, uh, Melissa Haney and Kendra Kincaid in a Calloway. Um, I got to hang out with my peers and the community like welcomed us with open arms, uh, and, and it got around like wildfire that we were in the community to talk to to young girls and young people about aviation and to get them excited about it in a, in a place where, you know, they're reliant on aircraft uh, for all of their supplies. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we got there and everybody at first air was so lovely and um, they flew us up there. They housed us. They gave us tours. UNAV uh, Canada let us in the tower. So we all got to see you know, the, the fire department took us out on the tarmac to spray fire hoses. Like it was just, it was so beautiful. Um, and I have so many of those stories when, when communities are just like welcoming you um, and so happy to have you there. Now, before we wrap up today, where can our listeners find you on social media? LinkedIn's probably the best place. Uh, and my name is A-L-L-I-S-O-N. And my last name is McLean, M-A-C-L-E-A-N. Allison McLean, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Laura. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, the Holding Short podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.